Sharpen up your elbows, and we'll get started. So anyway, um, before I get into it, I just want to uh, say uh, we're going to miss you, Blake. Um, we wish the very best for you and uh, Abby and uh, your uh, future home. And so um, pay attention. I'm going to be talking about some really important stuff today uh, about marriage. Um, I want to thank the praise team. I thank Daniel. Daniel made me feel young again. Um, I grew up on those songs. Uh, I grew up hearing those songs. That's how old they are. That's why a lot of you didn't know the words. I noticed the younger people on the praise team, they were really looking at the words up there. Uh, but anyway, I enjoyed that. Marriage changes your life radically. And if you don't believe that, you ask anybody who's married. Now, I didn't say better or worse. I just said it just changes your life radically, right? It can go either way. It can go either way. And a lot of that is just up to you. It really is. You're no longer alone. Your status has changed from single to married. And uh, the neat thing about marriage is that it's pretty much as old as man himself. The passage that Gary read for us today uh, illustrates that. God created man, and everything that God created, he looked at it and he said, that's good. I think that's pretty cool about God. He did something, that's good. <laughs> but he made man, and he said, that's not good. Isn't that weird? That's not good. It's not good that man is left alone. And so, he put him to sleep, and he created a woman out of him and you know the passage that Gary read you know the man said this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and uh, there's some stuff there that uh, maybe we can get into just a little bit and help us to see the spiritual nature of marriage marriage is really really important one of the first things God did with mankind he provided another person, a woman. And notice, the Bible says he created man and then he made a woman, a man and a woman. And the two became one. God designed it that way from the beginning and that's the way it always was and always will be regardless of what society says. So, God is a person, and as a person, relationship is very important. We are made in the image of God, and the likeness of God, and so the Bible says God is love, and so a God of love and relationship and inherent in the person of God himself in what we refer to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God is relational. And he created us relational. 
And that's why when he looked at Adam by himself, he said that's not good. Adam needed relationship. He needed companionship. And God had just paraded all the animals in front of him, and he named them. And so I'm thinking by now Adam is scratching his head and saying, Lord, really? And so God says, no, no, no. I've got something really special for you. And that's when he created a woman. And so it has ever been. And so we want to talk about the love relationship that is marriage. You see, God made man. He knew man. He knew what man needed. And so there's something within marriage that helps to fulfill inherent social, psychological, emotional, and physical needs. And that's what marriage is designed for. Completion, fulfillment, expression of love. We are created to be loved, to receive love, and we are created to give love, to express love. And that's what marriage is about. All people desire intimacy. They desire someone to be close to. And marriage helps to fulfill that need. Now being married can greatly assist in grasping deep theological concepts. And this is something that is really important, and I want you to understand this today. Because marriage is so much more than what most people think it is. And if we understand the foundational reasons of why God created marriage, if we understand that God is self-revealing through marriage, God is allowing us through this love relationship to be able to grasp and to enjoy and recognize what relationship with Him actually is. And this is a big deal. This is why marriage is so very important because in marriage, ideally, theoretically, as God intended it, we should be able to see God. So, one of the first things that comes to mind, we have, the Bible says, two people becoming one. Well, that helps us to explain the nature of God himself. It helps us to understand or grasp the Trinity, how that there can be three persons, but yet those three are one. In a marriage, there are two people, but in marriage, in the way that God designed it, in the way that it is lived out, there's one. Because two different individuals 
come together to create one family. They create one entity, one unit. And so that helps us to get some sort of understanding, a better grasp on the nature of the person of God himself. Marriage helps us to understand the concept in the New Testament of being in Christ and Christ being in us. And I'm going to explain this further in just a few minutes. It also helps us to understand the relationship between Christ and the church. That was read in Ephesians chapter 5 by Cruz this morning. And so if you look carefully when he's talking about the husband and the wife and that love relationship, he also says what this is really doing is helping us to understand and see the relationship between Christ and his church and vice versa. Then marriage helps us to understand the very nature of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about love. It's about grace, mercy, forgiveness, unity, community, joy, peace. All of these things are found in marriage. Again, theoretically speaking, not all marriages are going to find that in all marriages. But that's man's problem. That's a sin problem. It's not a problem inherent in marriage. Okay? In marriage, you really see the gospel. In fact, marriage to Christ is spoken of in the New Testament. He is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. We collectively are the bride of Christ. And what that means, when we become married to Christ, our status is changed from single, individual, to married. And when we are married to Jesus, it means we have gone through a death to the individual, a death to self, and we've entered into a new life with Christ. And that's what marriage is. Marriage, in a very real way, is a death to yourself, and you're entering into a new life. So there are a lot of theological connotations associated with marriage and I think we would value our marriages more if we understood that. We would appreciate marriage and why God created marriage and why marriage is so important if we can understand these concepts. It has been said that Christian marriage is no less than the unity of two people living out the reality of Christ's coming death, resurrection in their lives together. So marriage is a covenant relationship. In this covenant relationship, it is a covenant of faithfulness. It is a covenant of devotion. 
Because God loved his people, Israel, he made a covenant with them. Before that, because God loved Abraham, he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant, and God has lived out through humanity being faithful to the covenant that he made. God is faithful, and the gospel of Jesus Christ itself is an expression of the faithfulness of God in keeping his covenant with those he loves. That's what marriage is. That's what marriage is. Marriage reflects the faithfulness and the devotion of God for those he loves. And so whenever we get married, we say vows. And in those vows, we are making a covenant with another person and with God. And as we make those vows, there are promises made. People draw up their vows and they repeat their vows and they're making promises to one another. I will love you. I will give myself to you and only to you. Nobody else. And so then we live out that faithfully. We live that out faithfully. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says that in Christ we have very great and precious promises. In marriage, you're making very great and precious promises to one another. And then you set out to keep them, to honor those promises. There's usually a ring involved, at least in our culture, and that ring is to be a symbol of and a seal of the love that you have for each other. Well, God has a seal for us. When we are married to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a seal, a sign of this devotion, this loyalty, this faithfulness that God has to us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit seals the promises, seals the covenant relationship. And so again, we can see how marriage reflects Christianity. Well, let's talk about the fact that we are no longer alone. You know, some people would say this is a very, very good thing. I don't want to be alone. I'm, a, I'm lonely. I want a companion. I want another person. Uh, I don't want to be alone. Some people who are not alone... They say, you know, I'm sick and tired of this. I can't stand this any longer. I want to be alone. Just depends on your perspective, right? Just depends on how things are going, right? It depends on relationships, right? Absolutely. But the fact is, when you get married, you are not alone. Not anymore. So what does that mean? What is the significance of the fact that you are no longer alone. Well, I'm going to tell you something, in case you don't know this. You don't know somebody until you live with them. I promise you that. You think you know somebody? You don't know them until you live with them. 
Because here's what happens. When you live with someone, you find out a lot of stuff. You find out a lot of stuff maybe that you didn't know or you didn't realize or at least for a while there you were so blinded by your infatuation you just didn't want to see anything else. But when you live with somebody, you're going to find out. You're going to find out the truth about the person that you married. You will find out the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You see, here's the problem. There is another will involved. There's another will involved. And guess what? You got to deal with it. And the big question is this, how are you going to deal with it? For those of you that have been married, look, I'm talking about something I got a lot of experience with. Next month, in fact, in about two, two weeks, I will have been married 44 years. A lot of you aren't even 44 years old. I've been married longer than you've been alive. I got lots of experience. I didn't say I was very good at it. I just said I have a lot of experience at it. And I can tell you this, I have learned a lot, as has my lovely wife. And I'll guarantee you that if you sit down and you talk to her or you sit down and you'll talk to me, our perspective on marriage is a whole lot different than what it was 44 years ago. I guarantee you that. We'll have a lot more to say about it now than we would have had to say about it back then. There's another will involved in our life, and it does not always agree with our will. I wanted a couple of children. Becky wanted a dozen. Seriously, she always said, I want a dozen children. She's always wanted to save money. I've always wanted to spend it. I want to go eat tacos for lunch. She's tired of Mexican food. She wants to go to the opera or the musical or the orchestra concert. I want to go to the ball game. I want to carefully roll the toothpaste from the bottom and she just wants to squish it. I want the toilet paper to come over the top. She don't even care if it's on the dispenser. <laughs> and I could go on and on and on. There's one thing after another like that. Seriously, one thing after another, and sometimes it's not little things like that. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's, how are we going to discipline this child? How are we going to handle this situation? How are we going to deal with 
our differing perspectives on certain things? How are we going to deal with it when we totally disagree on what to do? You see, these are challenges. And these are the times you're going to realize more than ever there's another will involved and it's far different than my own. But here's the thing. The key to a happy marriage is to learn to accept the other person and appreciate the differences. Now that's a whole lot easier said than done and I'll tell you right now, I still struggle with some of that. Because sometimes maybe Becky will do something or I will do something and we'll look at each other and we'll say, why did you do that? Because I have no clue why she did what she did in, in some circumstances. And then there are times when she has no idea why I would do what I just did. In fact, that happened a couple of days ago. So what happened? Well, I got duped. When these guys came to the door, and usually I don't give them the time of day, you know, usually I make up something, you know, I'm busy, I'm tired, I want, we're fixing to leave, we got company, whatever. There's a jillion reasons that you can naturally give a lot of times to get rid of people, you know, when they come to your door. But uh, they, hit, they hit a soft spot with me, and, and that's my lawn. Becky will tell you I have grieved over this drought. I grieved over the hard freeze we had a year and a half ago. I love my flowers. I love my flower bed. I love my yard. And uh, I got tired of two or three $260 or $70 water bills uh, in a row. And I just decided, and plus I was probably breaking the law, and I decided... I, <laughs> There may be a warrant out for my arrest. <laughs> no, but anyway, well, in Florida, anyway. Uh, that's an inside joke. So uh, I have grieved over that, and so I have dead spots and bad places in my yard, and every day when I walk out there and walk by, it just it hurts me. So this guy comes up, and he's got this, they've got this great stuff that they can put on your yard and all these nutrients and vitamins and everything's so good for the soil and all this bad stuff that's fungus that's happened to my grass and everything. It'll fix that and cure that. And, and, and he was talking real fast and I was hardly understanding him. And, and finally I, I made what I thought was a deal that it was all going to be done for $200, you know. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it. And so, man, a bunch of guys piled out of the pickup truck, and within five minutes, he comes up to me, you know, and, well, only about half of the yard's done. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought you said, no, I said $200 for however many bags, and we, these are the bags. I, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't do the whole yard. Well, it takes more bags than that to do the whole yard. Anyway, long story short, I paid $300 
And when my wife got up from her nap and found out that I was duped, I, did, I had no guarantees. I didn't really know what was in those bags. And there's no way to prove it. And I felt like an idiot and still kind of do. Uh, yeah, she's not happy with me. In fact, I got my feelings hurt. Yep, sure did. She just right out there fired a few shots and just chopped me down and hurt my feelings. Yes, she did. But within a short time, uh, she was apologetic. She wanted to discuss it. Why would I do that? And uh, so we had a good discussion about it. And she didn't hold it against me. She accepted it. And she's been nice to me ever since. Key to the happy marriage. Learn to accept the other person. And learn to appreciate their differences. I am very impulsive. I've been impulsive for 44 years. And she knows that. And the more she sat and thought about it, instead of being so mad at me, she just, well, that's Terry. For better or worse. Remember that one? For better or worse. You remember when you got married? You remember the vow you took? You remember the promise you made? For better or worse. Well, that was one of the worst ones, see. Oh, I've done a lot worse. I've done a lot worse. But uh, that was not a good one. But really, that's a key to a happy marriage. Here's the deal. When you get married, you have to look out for the other person. You have to consider the other person. You have to think of the other person. You have to be there for the other person. That's what getting married's all about. It's not about you anymore. It's not about making decisions unilaterally. The fact is, the things that we do, the decisions that we make, affect the other person. The way that you live your life, your habits affect the other person. Your addictions affect the other person. Everything we do affects the other person because we're not alone anymore. We are not alone anymore. And some people have a hard time getting over that, getting over themselves, because what happens is people talk constantly about the fact that I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that, I'm not getting what I need, I'm not getting what I want, it didn't go my way, they don't care about me, they don't care about... That's a problem. And your marriage is going to suffer. Your marriage is not going to be very good. It's not going to be healthy when all you're doing is worrying about and thinking about the way you want everything to go. Just the way it is. So, let's talk about this briefly. When the Bible says the two become one, what does that mean? Well, there's an integration, there's a fusion that takes place. Listen, the dictionary defines 
integration as an act or instance of combining into an integral whole. It defines fusion as joining two or more things together to form a single entity. That's what God did with Adam and Eve. He made Adam, he made Eve, he joined them together, they became one flesh. They became a new entity. They became a family. Something other than what they were before. You understand this? Very important. When you become a family, you're something other than what you were before. Now, that's why the Bible says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, they're a new family unit. Now, it's clear from what is read in Genesis that they came together in a sexual union. The sexual union illustrates physically what is actually happening psychologically, emotionally, and even spiritually in the birth of a new family. You want to understand what sex is about? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not about you getting what you want. It's not about your pleasure. It's not about your selfishness. It is about the psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical union that God intends between two people. You see, what happens when you get married is you become immersed and enveloped in the other person. And they become immersed and enveloped in you. And that's very much like what the Bible says about us being immersed into the body of Christ. We are baptized into Christ. When you get married, it is a picture of you uniting into one body with Christ. You understand that? You understand what that means? You understand the covenant faithfulness and devotion in a marriage do you understand the faithfulness and the covenant devotion to Christ because it's the same kind of thing see that are you faithful to Jesus you're supposed to be faithful to your spouse you're supposed to be faithful to Jesus. So our life becomes integrated into the life of Christ. Our life becomes joined or fused together or meshed with the very life of Jesus. And that's what marriage is supposed to show us. It reveals that to us. Just as our lives are fused together in a marriage, 
Now we can understand how our lives are fused together with Christ. So this is all part of God's plan. It's all part of why marriage. Because it explains and solves and unravels the mystery of our relationship with Christ in us and us in Christ. So, we become one with Christ. One of the most fascinating passages of Scripture to me is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Now, the, the thing that's so fascinating about this is it's in a context where he's teaching or explaining to the Corinthian church why fornication is wrong, okay? Why sex outside of marriage is wrong, all right? And in that passage, in that context, in verse 19, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. But he says this in a context of if someone were to go and have sex outside of marriage. So do you see the connection here? the relevance, how when he's talking about the one, the physical, the sin, he's also referring to the spiritual concept of oneness. In fact, if you back up in verse 17, he says, we are one spirit with the Lord. One spirit with the Lord. You know, when I become a Christian or when I got married, I did not cease being a person. I did not stop being an individual. However, as an individual, I willingly chose to step into a realm, to step into a life where I'm not just an individual. I am an individual who is fused and joined together with another person. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. When you become a Christian, you are not just you anymore. What you are is a person who has chosen to take on another life, a different life. And now you are in Christ, and now your life has changed. And marriage is supposed to help us understand that. So, let's talk briefly about aligning our wills and giving our heart. Because isn't that what you do in a marriage? Isn't that what makes a marriage work? And remember, like some of the songs, Lord, I give you my heart. That's what you're doing. When you get married to Jesus, you're giving Jesus your heart. When you get married to another person, you're giving them your heart. 
You're aligning your wills, and that's what makes for a beautiful, wonderful, happy marriage. It's when your wills are aligned. We have the same values. We have the same purpose. We're walking the same direction. We're going through this together as one unit. And there's a real problem when wills are not aligned. When you're out of alignment, it's going to be rough going. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And that's why wills need to be aligned. And it can be almost anything in marriage. I want to live in California. She wants to live in New York. What are we going to do? I've wanted to live in California all my life. She's wanted to live in New York all of her life. What in the world are we going to do? Let's live in Texas. It doesn't have to be so hard. We have to be willing to give up some things, to sacrifice. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? That's what we do in a marriage. That's what a marriage is about. I've said before, the key to a happy marriage is to learn the art of negotiation. Can you learn? Can you negotiate? Can you negotiate well? Can you negotiate nicely? In kindness? And gently? Then you can have a really good marriage. For all you Luther Vandross fans out there, I know me and Charles are. I don't know anybody else, but we are. Do you know the power of love? Luke has been talking to us about love, what love is. Well, I want you to know there is great power in love. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. When you love someone, when you show love to that person abundantly, when you show love to that person consistently, when you love even when they're not lovable, when you love when times are hard, when times are bad, when you love the person anyway, regardless of how they are acting, when you love someone well, don't be surprised if they're going to start loving you back. Because that's what love does. Love has a drawing power. Now there's all things, all kinds of things you can do to alienate somebody. There's all kinds of ways that you can act as to not draw someone in, to not love somebody. You know, you can fuss and argue and fight. You can pout. You can whine. You can do all kinds of things. You can get mad and throw stuff. You can yell and scream and you can call names. You can do all kinds of things. None of those things are going to help your relationship. You hear me? None of them are going to help your relationship. So why the people keep banging their insane heads against the same wall, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. This is not rocket science, folks. It's love. 
And God wants you to flourish in your marriage. God wants you to thrive in your marriage. He wants to see the love that he has for you in your love for each other. He wants to see the love of Christ. And there is great power in love. We love him because he first loved us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through Christ. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Why do I have these verses up here? Why am I talking about the power of God? Because here's the beautiful thing. When God gives you his Holy Spirit, in Romans 5 verse 5, the Bible says that he pours out his love into us through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. When you are filled with the Spirit of Christ, you can love the other person above and beyond what you normally would be able to do. There is power in the love of Christ, and when you are filled with the love of Christ, you can love your enemies. Yes, you can even love your enemies, Jesus said. And of course you can love your spouse well. When the Spirit of Christ, the love of God, is dwelling in you. So, discover the true meaning of love. Because this is it. The true meaning of love is not to have all your wants and all your desires met. That is, that's what Luke's been saying for two weeks. That's not the true meaning. That's not what love is. There are actually people, and some of them may be sitting here in this room, and some of them may be listening or watching on TV or whatever. There are actually people who think, if my spouse doesn't do what I want or they don't give me what I want, they don't love me. Well, that's one of the dumbest things I ever heard. You know better than that. If you're a parent, you know better than that. Little old Caroline, as little and thin as she is, she would eat a half a gallon of ice cream if you let her. Do you let your kid eat all the cookies they want? Do you let them go play out in the street? Do you let them go anywhere they want to go without supervision or anything? No. Well, they want to. Well, you don't love them if you don't give them what they want. You know better than that. So why in the world you take that mindset into a marriage? Because here's the problem. You're the one that's acting like a child. We need to grow up, and we need to face the reality of what true love really is. And we need to love each other well. You can have a very happy marriage if you'll do that. I wanted to talk about codependency. I'll say that for another lesson. Uh, my time's up. I just want to close with this. I'm just going to read a little excerpt uh, from my book. We've laughed together and cried together. 
worked together and played together. We lived life the best we knew how, but made a lot of mistakes along the way. We flew by the seat of our pants and believed that whatever happened in the end, everything would work out. Through it all, we grew closer and closer. We loved each other more and more. We understood each other in ways that no one else did or could. We believed in one another and trusted each other. Neither of us were ever unfaithful to the other. We were truly one as we are today. You know, you have a lot when you have a spouse. You've been given an incredible gift. You have something that is so spiritual and a wonderful reflection of Christ and his church and of God's love. Cherish it. Honor it. just as you would Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today to bless our marriages. We, we already know that they're often not what they should be or what they could be. And we're sorry for that. We repent of all that we have brought into the relationship that has been harmful or destructive. We ask you to fill us with your spirit, to fill us with your love, to empower us to love our spouse. In the best way, in your way, and may love abound in our marriages. May we see you in our marriage. May we reflect your love and your glory. And we pray that when people look at the marriages in this church, that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.